Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Wow. That's deep. It's loud. Um, got good news for you. This message is going to be a lot longer. I had to cut it. So we'll have to stay tuned till next week. And not, when I close, you'll see why. But if you have your Bibles with me, and if you would stand up for the reading of the Word, Romans chapter 2 is where we find ourselves. Let's start at verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a lot of themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Let's pray. Father, we just pray again as we do every Sunday that you, Lord, would teach and instruct us. Lord, that we get insights by your Spirit and your Word. But not just insights that come to our mind, Lord. We just pray once again that you would work them into our hearts. Lord, that we would receive what your Spirit would have for us this morning. But also, Lord, with the understanding that you will empower us. Bless this time together and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now. To start with the impartiality with God, we need to back up, don't we? See, in the previous study, we learned a few things. In verse 2, we learned that God judges according to truth. Now, in Hebrews 4.13, again, I'd like to remind you that there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. So what this reveals too about God is that He's omniscient, which means He's all-knowing. But also that He's omnipresent, which means He's everywhere. As David said, there's nowhere I can hide from you. Go the furthest, highest mountain, the deepest ocean, there's nowhere I can go away from your spirit. That's true with us. God is with us always, and He is with all humanity. Think that through. Every person on this earth, He knows them by, not only by name, He knew them when He was knitting them in their mother's womb. That's how personal our God is to every creature on this earth. He knows when a sparrow falls. Think about that. I mean, I confess to you, I hit many birds in my life driving in the country. God knew that. One time I hit a pheasant in my grill. He was stuck in my grill. 
It was a pheasant on a grill. Okay, moving along. Verse 3. We see God's judgment is sure. We looked at Hebrews 2, 3, and it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? God doesn't waver. He is sure. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is true to His Word. Then verse 4, we learn that God's goodness he withholds his judgment that people would be convicted, repent, and come to faith in him. And remember, we looked at a couple of scriptures, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love, own love towards us in that wire sinners Christ died for us. And then we looked at 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. It reveals God's desire for everybody on this earth. Everybody on this earth. And in verse 5 and 6, we learn that God's judgment is righteous. God is a righteous and holy God. He's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. Now in verse 11 we see that God's judgment is impartial. It means no bribes. He's fair. He's flawless. He's marked by impartiality and honesty. He's free from self-interest and prejudice or favoritism. Again, reviewing and revealing His perfection. But also remember this, just as we alluded to in verse 4, God is good. Now, your kids are good sometimes. Not all the time. But to be fair, we're good sometimes. But not all the time. We all have our lapses. We all can make mistakes, but God doesn't. God and His perfection is always good. And everything He does is good. Oh, there's things that happen on this earth and you're going, what's going on? But again, we look at the attribute of God that He is good, that He is loving, but He's also just and He's righteous and He's true and He's pure. So, putting the attributes together and so many more that we understand that when we get to heaven, everything will make more sense to us. Maybe not perfect, because again, we're finite minds and we'll be dwelling with the infinite. But we can rest assured something, that God is good, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. It's not God's not going to good to impatience. Or God is going from good to impatience to actually anger, an unjust anger. But not just going from good to impatience to an unjust anger that He is now acting out in an unjust way. No, because God is always good. He's always perfect. He's always right in what He's doing. Can you say that about yourself? No. Can I say that about myself? No. I'm not always right. And my wife is saying, glad you finally admitted it. No. But again, the truth of the matter is, is none of us are. 
We like to be, but we're not. Now, in understanding these things, now I want to dive in a little deeper. If you notice verse 12 again, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Those who have sinned with or without the law will perish. And that word does not mean annihilation. It means to destroy, to put out of the way entirely, to be lost. Metaphorically, it means to be given over to eternal misery in hell. So I know that there's a teaching going about about annihilation that's not biblical. Don't even waste your time. God has made us eternal beings, which makes this serious for all of us. Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now let's clarify something very carefully so you don't think now Paul's changing his theology that all of a sudden, no, if you're doing law, you can be declared righteous because he's already says the righteous, the just shall live by faith. In fact, he'll go on to say, Therefore, by the deeds of law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then he goes on in verse 23 to say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But see, what Paul is trying to bring into our attention is that these that have never heard about the law, those that are pursuing to do the law because of Really, if you will, an intent and a motive that, if you will, is pure. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these also, although not having the law, a law to themselves, the moral law. They understand the moral law. See, every culture has laws, moral laws. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't take somebody's wife. You shouldn't take somebody else's property. Moral laws. Throughout all tribes, throughout all generations. Why? How does that work? Well, look at verse 15. who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Show means to demonstrate or prove. God judges the person who has never heard the word of God and about Jesus Christ with what and how much light has been given to them and how much they obey that light. Uh, Stuart Briscoe in his commentary says, The judgment of God is based on the light that people have received and their reaction to it, and is never based on the light they have not received, in the same way that some people who have privilege abuse it. There are always those who, lacking privilege, rise above. Paul speaks of the Gentiles who were never given the privilege of having the law of God, yet who had such sensitivity to what they knew of God that their consciences were keen and alert and in touch with reality. The important thing for everyone to understand, Jew or Gentile, is that the judgment of God has no place for favoritism or exceptions. 
but is based strictly on the response of the individual to the knowledge of truth, that what has been made available, that obviously means that the more privilege a person has, the more responsibility he holds. It's the realization, if you will, that those that had never heard the moral law but obey the law, every society, like I mentioned, has moral laws. Out of what? Consciousness. Your conscience. Your conscience is the soul as distinguishing between what is morally good and bad. They do it out of a sense of the right thing to do. Not because they have to. For many Jews feel like they have to to appease God. See, it really is, and this is the beauty of it, is God knows the intent of a heart. He knows the desire of that heart to be either seeking what is right and true because of a sense of morality, for a sense of doing again what the person should do in their life, rather than have to do. In order to really, to be better, not just for themselves, but those around them. And God sees that. God sees the heart of a person. God knows the reason why they do what they do. Even in their past. And see, that's the thing about a conscience. It can be contaminated. It can be warped. It can be seared. The conscience. We all have it. Even now, you may be feeling guilty. Maybe shame, but you have a conscience. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis wrote about the conscience. I think this is dead on. He says, we were talking about cats and dogs the other day and decided that both have consciences. But the dog, being an honest, humble person, always has a bad one. But the cat is a Pharisee and always has a good one. When he sits and stares you out of countenance, he is thanking God. He's thanking God that he is not as those dogs, or these humans, or even these other cats. For a cat always thinks it is perfect. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't feel the same way. In fact, the sad thing is, is some of you sitting here right now are thinking again that I have a guilty conscience. Now, let's understand a few things. And like I said, I don't want to go too deep into this because, again, I want to go deeper than we're going to go this morning. It's an understanding of something in verse 16, if you will. In that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. See, The Father judges no one, Jesus says, as He has committed all judgment to the Son. Jesus is the one that judges. Now, I really like what Paul says here. He says, my gospel. That sounds maybe arrogant to some people. but No, to me, it's like I'm taking ownership of this. This is my truth. I understand it. I'm not ashamed of it, like he said previously. This is the way out of a guilty conscience, is what he's saying. This is the way into salvation. 
That even those that have never heard, there's something pricking them inside their heart. And that's what a conscience does. That is the understanding that when you see somebody murdered, you know it's wrong. But also it's a condition, if you will, that has been ingrained in each of us. What I mean by that, it goes way back. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. See, when God made them, they were naked and they were not ashamed. But then Satan came and said, has God really said you cannot eat of this tree? Because he knows the day that you do, you will know good from evil. Your conscience now will be active. To know what is right and what is wrong. Now, think with me now. That means that Adam and Eve lived in blessedness. There was no evil. No interior motives. Ulterior motives. No no thought of, you know, of doing harm or lying. Adam wasn't out wrestling with a lion and Eve said, I had dinner ready. Where were you? And he said, oh, I was busy planting those flowers you love. Or he, There was nothing like that. It was totally open, totally, if you will, a beautiful relationship of no deception, no lies, no sin. And it was, it was basically governed by love. God's love for them and their love for each other. And they're really, if you will, just the, the way God made us to, to experience and enjoy. To experience and love, and to be filled with love, to be filled with joy, to be filled with peace. To be governed by such things rather than guilt and shame. But see, once they did do that, once they partook of that fruit, now they hid from God because now they were shame and afraid. It's kind of like you and me, when we do something wrong, we're waiting for something to fall down on us and smack us. And hurt us. Is that what God does? Now, it's kind of cruel because I really don't want to go too much further than that. And you're thinking, wait a minute, you're not going to just leave us there. But we have to understand something. What Paul is getting at here is those that have never heard the gospel. That have never heard the good news. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not going to leave you just dangling there. That would not be right of me because what is the good news? Well, uh, to a Jew, they understood something. See, it was a continual sacrifice of blood. See, it took blood to cover the sins. Without blood, there's no remission of sin. And day after day, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And it's amazing to me because what we don't really understand is how much blood was being poured out. Because what they did was they drained the blood of the animal. If we looked at the priests, they were covered in blood. Couldn't help but. I know just from working... In a butcher shop, that that butcher that starts off with a nice white apron, by the end of the day, it looks like he's been in a war, a battle, because it's blood all over it. 
But see, it's to understand that blood was only temporary. In fact, in Hebrews it goes on to say this. I might need that later. I don't know. Maybe not. Ah. My daughter, everybody. That's my daughter. Let's give her just a... In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good news and good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of heifer Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God to cleanse your consciousness from dead works to serve the living God? Your conscience has been sprinkled with the very blood of Jesus Christ. Why do I want you to think about that? Because this week you're going to feel guilty. But the truth of the matter is, you're clean. And it's to be able to live out of that cleanness that we'll find, if you will, peace, love, and joy. Because a guilty conscience squashes any indication of you being a child of the living God. Your guilt. Your shame. And Jesus says, I've cleansed you. I cleansed you. Why do you keep mucking in the mud? Why do you allow your conscience to be defiled? If you will, the word in 1 Corinthians 8, that's what it basically means. Why do you just keep muddying it? Why do you allow that? Don't you have taken your sin and I've cast it as far as the east is from the west? Don't you know that I put it in the deepest ocean and buried it? And let it sink down into the depths. As Corey Ten Boom says, and then put a sign that says, no fishing. See, that's the problem. You and I, we fish. And because we get ourselves entrapped with this, what it does is it engrosses us into something that, if you will, and Puts us in bonds. We don't act like the free people that we are. And we're all guilty of it. It's always something. It's always something coming at us. Did God really say? It's those fiery darts that a lot of times we can't ignore because it makes us feel like dirt. I remember my children. 
And when they would start feeling so rotten about themselves, I'd make them, lifting their chin, and say, look at me. But what I mean is, I wanted them to know that I see them for who they are. Not what they did. It's where your Heavenly Father is. Desires for you to look in His eyes. He can say to you, I see the work that I'm doing. You are of worth. You are mine. So what it goes on to say, Hebrews, it says this, Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the matter of some. But exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you see? Do you feel? Do you sense it? See God saying lift up your eyes. Come boldly in. The only thing that's keeping you from me is your own guilt. Not the shame that I'm putting on you. Because see, my goodness brings you to godly repentance. And godly repentance means you turn around and you come back to me. It doesn't mean you go away from me. It doesn't mean I reject you. It means I'm saying, come to me. So I can lift your chin up and say, look at me in the eyes. You are mine. Stop listening to that voice that is of the enemy. Stop listening to yourself. Because see, that's why it's important to understand that God judges in truth. And the truth is, is that we've come to the gospel message The good news that I'm not ashamed of, Paul says, that I declare to you, it's my gospel. But see, again, in essence and in truth, it's your gospel. It's your good news. It's how you came to Christ. It's your gospel message. And that's the beauty of it all. That's the wonder of it. Now, I've gone further than I thought I would, because I didn't want you to hang there. I want you to know that a guilty conscience is only of God if it brings you to repentance and you come back into His face, so that He can remind you, I already knew you were going to do that. You're forgiven. And I'll remember it no more. So you stop bringing it up. You stop meditating on it. You stop letting it hold you down. Because I've got good news for you. My love is everlasting. 
My truth is always. And I am the same yesterday, today, forever. What's good news about that is that we call God our Father, Jesus our Savior. That means yesterday, today, forever. That He doesn't want us to live in guilt and in shame, but He wants us to live, like I said before, in His love, in His joy, and in His peace. It's be able to look at the things of the past and say they are washed and they are clean. And if there's anything that needs to be learned from that, then let the Spirit teach. Peter, good Jew, would not eat anything that was not kosher. And he was waiting in Joppa, and, and as he was waiting for lunch, this big sheet came down, and all these unkosher animals were in it. The Lord said, kill and eat. Not so, Lord, Peter said, I've never eaten anything unkosher. I'm not going to start now. And then the Lord says something that I pray would come into your heart and your ears this morning. He said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. You are clean. Do we accept what God says? Or do we live by our own conscience? See, conscience is only good when we separate what is true from the feeling. And it's been already declared that God is true, and that means always true. And when He says, I have covered it, then it's covered. When he says it's forgiven, then it's forgiven. When I call you my children, then it's forever. So then he declares to all of us, come in. Let nothing keep you from coming in. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. Not how I feel. God has declared. I hate to say, but I fear it's true. See, the reason why most of us don't share our faith is because we still haven't grasped it ourselves. We still don't call it my gospel. It's the gospel. We haven't allowed the transformation not just to enter our minds, but our whole soul. That what we feel is broken, God has declared, I have mended and healed. What we find that is, if you will, tainted, He is now cleansed, purified. The relationship that was broken has been mended. 
and the judgment that are on those that reject it, it remains on them, not you. To understand that you are free. Let's conclude. If we understand the freedom, if we understand the love, if we understand the joy, if we understand it's my gospel, then we understand what Paul said to Timothy. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing. And His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready. Season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. See, God doesn't need us to preach. God doesn't need us to share. Because we just understood something, that God even works in those that have never heard, but that's not ours to consider. Ours is to consider that we are told and commanded to go. Tell them the good news. Don't hold it to yourself. Don't hold on to your guilt that imprisons you. You are free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Share it with somebody. Let them know that it's your gospel. That you embraced it. That you are clean. That you are free. And this God who loves you so very much never changes that love. never changes as he looks at your face as he looks at mine he always sees us for who we are in him not your shame not your guilt he sees Jesus Christ in you Lift up your heads. My gospel. My gospel. It's your gospel. Pretty great God we worship. Let's pray.
Father, we just thank you for this morning and your truth. We thank you, Lord, for you calling us into your family. Lord, I know there's people out here that are that feel guilt and shame. Their conscience is always pricking at them. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to them this morning in the truths that we've talked over. The understanding of your love for them. The truth that you speak to us in the darkest hours of our lives. The cleansing is a one-done deal. Jesus isn't on that cross anymore. Jesus is at the right hand of your throne. The work is finished. We are clean. It is done. It is finished. We are yours. My prayer for each of us, Lord, that we would embrace the truth of this is our gospel. That we're not ashamed of it. That we know that your spirit is working and going throughout the earth to find those whose hearts are loyal or complete to yours. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would understand this truth more this morning than we ever have. And to stop living in our shame or our guilt, but live in the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. To also understand the things that we need to do to continue in this walk of living and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray Lord willing, we'll learn more about our conscience next week. In the meantime, Lord, help us to take what we've heard this morning and embrace it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.